This is the LEAD podcast. LEAD stands for Listen, Empower, Act, Develop. I'm host Sheila Brummer, journalist and organizational leadership graduate. This media project would not be complete unless I reached out to my former boss and mentor in the business, Dave Buzik. Buzik is one of the most respected leaders in the business. He has a long list of achievements. It includes being named News Director of the Year by Broadcasting and Cable Magazine. He's received Lifetime Achievement Awards from the Midwest Emmys, the Iowa Broadcast News Association, Midwest Journalism Association. He was the former president of the Radio Television News Directors Association. Dave retired at the end of 2018 after almost 30 years as news director at KCCI in Des Moines. Dave, thank you for for saying yes to doing this interview. I'm not really used to interviewing you. I've done, you know, hundreds of interviews. This is the first where I've talked to a former boss. I'm sure it'll work out just fine, Sheila. <laughs> okay. That's good. I, think I interviewed you on more than one more than one occasion, like before I hired you, that kind of thing. So yeah, no. nice, nice to have you interview me for a change. No, I know. And in this whole podcast, we're, we're I'm trying to figure out like what makes a good leader and what kind of tips, you know, people can have if they aspire to be a leader someday. And just first off, what what do you think makes for a good leader? I think a couple of things. Number one, the ability to just treat people the way that you want to be treated. I always thought that life was too short for putting up with jerks, uh, either as a boss or as an employee, and I just didn't want to be that guy. I think most people come to work wanting to do a good job. There are problems, there are issues, but it's like rather than jumping down people's throats, let's just sit down and have an adult conversation about you know how we uh, can fix a mistake and, and, and make sure that it doesn't happen in the future. So I just tried to be a decent person and the kind of person that uh, I uh, wanted to work for, number one. Number two, over-communicate, communicate, communicate, communicate. Just because you've said something five times doesn't mean everybody on the staff has gotten it. So you've got you've to talk uh, in meetings. You've got to put things in email. Because particularly in news, as you know, broadcast news, um, there were employees that I didn't even see for weeks at a time because they come in at 11 o'clock at night and work until seven in the morning, you know, before I, I got in the office. So you have to use every communications method that is available to you. Just be fair. Um, be fair to people. That doesn't mean treating everybody the same. I think I learned fairly on that um, I was. Everybody responds to different kinds of of, of stimulation, um, and you know, if I had an A level performer on my staff, I might give them a break every now and then. I might not ride them as hard as I would a B or a C level performer. Um, and different people respond to different kinds of uh, input. And so I, I sort of gave up on that thing of, well, let's just treat everybody the same. Just because I did this for this person doesn't mean that I have to do, do it for uh, this next person because they may well not have earned it. And then speaking of that, I think just um, the final thing that pops into my mind is you earn your respect. It's really a lot like a checking account. Um, you can say yes 99 times to somebody, but boy, when you say no, that's the one they remember. So I always try to make as many deposits kind of into that checking account with each person on the staff so that I knew there were going to be times when I needed to come and make a withdrawal and ask them to do something over and above, to work an extra shift, to um, you know, to take on a project that maybe they didn't want to take on. So 
it's it's you're making sure that you're taking care of people that you're giving as well as asking and and then i think over time you earn people's uh, respect it's not given just because you have a corner office or you have a title on your card you have to earn your respect every day and one thing I remember is you were always consistent, and that's something that we learned in our organizational leadership program. Being consistent is so important to gain that trust. Well, I think that's really important. Uh, I didn't want people guessing, you know, what mood, you know, that the boss was going to be in that day. Very early on in my radio career, we worked for a general manager who was uh, tempestuous. And we, if we had an idea, we'd go up to his office and we'd kind of stand in the hallway, peek around the corner and ask his, they called him secretaries at the time, now an executive assistant, but we'd ask this woman, hey, how's the weather today? And she'd say, sunny and warm. Well, then we knew we could come in and pitch our idea. If she said, thunderstorms in the forecast, we would run back downstairs. And it was like, you know, I don't want to have to guess what somebody's going to be like. I just never put up... uh, with moods. I didn't want to put up with moods either from my staff members, and I sure didn't think that they would want to put up with that from me. Just be consistent, be fairly predictable about how you're going to respond to things. And I think that includes the bad times as well as the good times. You know, I hate to use a baseball analogy. Any shortstop can handle the easy two hopper. Um, It's the shortstop who makes the play on the bad hop and then and gets the out and doesn't make it a big deal out of it. You know, that's what I wanted. I want people to be consistent, no matter whether it's an easy day in the newsroom or one of those ridiculous days when everybody's under a lot of stress. And you talked about your radio days. You actually started on air in radio before moving to television as a reporter and then an anchor. And now, Dave Booth. And good evening. Sheila O'Connor sitting in with us tonight for Kevin. How is that transition going from, you know, someone who's working every day in the newsroom and on tight deadlines to now you're the manager of, of your, your coworkers and staff. Yeah. It was hard. Um, anytime you stick your head up, it's easier for people to take a shot at you. And there were other people in the newsroom who wanted the job. And so, um, you know, it, uh, it took a few years, I think, to – first of all, I was terrible. I mean, there was nothing in a journalism background that trains you for management. You just have to learn every day. You have to make your mistakes. You have to. I went to a lot of uh, workshops on management. I read a lot of management books, and I just really tried to get myself up to speed. I've said that there's nothing in being a reporter. You were a reporter for a long time. I mean, you know, what makes a good reporter? Well, you move fast, and you make decisions quickly, and you're kind of a smart ass, and it's just like you're kind of looking out for number one, and then you become uh, a successful reporter. And late this afternoon, workmen used a crane to lift the plane onto a truck and move it from this usually quiet neighborhood. Well, none of those apply to being a manager. You've got to be a fairly decent person. You've got to get other people to do what you need them to do in order for you to be successful. So I have to say I started out, I was really terrible. I made a lot of dumb mistakes. And um, so I think over time, I worked at it. Um, and, and I learned. But it, it's always a tough transition when you move from the staff into a management uh, position. What were the biggest mistakes? Well, I think I, one of the things I tried to do early on was treat everybody the same. And if I had a star anchor, 
Uh, and then a beginning photographer, I tried to treat the star anchor like I would a beginning photographer. And if the star anchor came in and asked for something, it was like, I just told the photographer no, uh, so I'm going to tell you no. And it's like, that's dumb. You know, I had one or two people resign who just saw the handwriting on the wall and said, this guy is never going to get it. <laughs> you know, and they, they resigned and left. And I thought, okay, what can I learn from this uh, experience, number one? Number two, when I came in, it was a time of uh, difficulty in the newsroom. The ratings were very close. We were um, in a very competitive battle with a, a, a station across town that was doing a really, really good job, and they were kind of eating our lunch. And so we, we, I had to learn to really listen to people, to listen to what their concerns were on our staff. And then we did a lot of research, and I think this is a really valuable lesson. I always believe, you know, some, a lot of companies do research, but it's like then the managers hold that really tightly. Well, we can't tell our staff uh, what this is. You recall that we always shared the research. We get everybody in a room. We put the slides up on the wall, and then it was very clear to our staff. And they were the ones who were really doing the work. They're the ones that had their hands on the controls of the operation, not me. I just, I, you know, I hired people and tried to set the overall direction, but I wasn't putting the product on the air uh, day in and day out. The staff was. And so I wanted them to see that if our audience had a problem with us, I wanted them to see that it wasn't me saying it. It wasn't our owners saying it. It was our customers, our neighbors, our friends, our family saying it. And then I think it made it easier for staff to understand why we needed to change uh, certain aspects of what we were putting on the air. That was a valuable lesson. It's like, don't ask people to do things without showing them why we need to do it. And sharing research was an important part of that. It's risky. You could always have an employee uh, leak it to the competition or resign from us and go to the competing station. But I felt that the rewards of that outweighed the risks. People are telling you what they like and what they don't like about your product, and you've got to respond. Now, journalism is not making cars or widgets or hamburgers. Um, the customer isn't always right in news because you're dealing with ideas, you're dealing with fairness, and what certainly in this polarized political environment we now see that is what one viewer thinks is fair, another one thinks is tremendously unfair and shows bias. So, you know, sometimes you've got to stick to your guns and do the story as fairly as you can, even though you realize that some customers are going to be very upset about that. Journalists should hold political leaders, should hold their feet to the fire. We should do tough stories on, on people who are in elected office. doesn't mean we do all tough stories, but our job is not to do tough pieces. Our job is to do... Uh, tough pieces and the party that's in power gets very upset about that uh, when you do so if your customers say well we don't like you you're doing tough stories on our governor and we like our governor well you're not going to listen to that research and suddenly start doing soft stories on the governor news is different in that way you know people are losing trust in journalism what do you think needs to be done to turn that around and it just seems like every year it erodes and is it because more people are on social media i just wanted to get your thoughts about that topic as well this is, a, this is a topic that could go, we could go on and on and on about. Um, I think the main factors are um, 
the polarization of cable news, network cable news. Major developments tonight on the search at Trump's Mar-a-Lago home. The investigation is far from over, but that's not stopping some of the mainstream media from jumping to their own conclusions. You know, everybody is kind of in their own silo, and they don't want to hear information that they don't agree with. And it's so easy to get information today that way. Same with online. I think the Internet is absolutely the most amazing thing that has happened in our lifetimes. The, uh, the way we live our lives to have instant information at our fingertips is a good thing. But the negatives are that um, we're not all getting our information from the same source anymore, a trusted source. And that has led to all the misinformation, to flooding the airwaves with, the, with, with negative uh, images, negative ads, and, and no way to really uh, uh, counter that. So I think it's a combination of that. And I think another really big change goes back to the Reagan administration. And this really started at the Reagan administration did away with what was called the fairness doctrine for radio and television. And the fairness doctrine up until the early 80s required that if a broadcast station, which were federally licensed radio and television, um, in order to have that license to use the public airwaves, we had to be fair in our coverage. Um, and that is that if we interviewed the Democrats on a particular issue, we were pretty well required to uh, interview the Republican on that issue. And we had to cover all sides of an issue. And we had to demonstrate that to the government. Well, they got rid of it. And then what happened is uh, we got um, we, we got talk radio. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Rush Limbaugh, happy to have you along as broadcast excellence rolls on. And talk radio became overwhelmingly one-sided on the conservative side of the spectrum. And I'm not saying whether it should be or whether it should be conservative, whether it should be liberal. It's just AM talk radio got to be very conservative. And um, so people started to find their niche. And, uh, and it kind of went downhill from there. And then the Internet just played into that. And so uh, I, I don't know what else uh, you know, we could do. I think in local television – uh, research would show that we're probably the most trusted source. We try to hit the ball down the middle of the fairway every day. But the problem is that because of what happens at the network level with the Times and the Post and uh, CNN and Fox News and MSNBC, it's just very easy for people to take the broad brush and say all of journalists are biased. And that's uh, in local television and radio, I think you know that that generally is just not the case. We tried to do fair stories, but very often viewers just did not perceive them as fair because, as we mentioned earlier, it was a tough story on a politician that they happened to support. And in the old days, it was like, well, that's the break. I mean, you know, we do tough stories. We do good stories. We try to be fair about it. Uh, but now people can just uh, – they just won't watch anyone. And, you know, I think all we can do is be as fair – as we possibly humanly can be and let the chips fall where they may. But it is, it's not a good thing for our communities to be losing newspapers, to be losing trust. I mean, we're losing trust in uh, the electoral process right now. That's a very negative thing for our society. Somebody asked me the other day if uh, I had it to do all over again, would I go back into journalism? And I was like, I don't know what else I would do that would be nearly as fascinating as this career has been. It's changed a lot since I started as a um, professional reporter in 1979. It's changed a lot, but I'd absolutely go right back into it and uh, do it all over again. I think it's important.
and hopefully you're staying pretty busy being retired. I can't believe you're retired. You don't seem that, you know, I think you're still a young guy in my mind. Uh, well, okay, thanks. <laughs> I uh, sometimes feel young, sometimes feel, uh, uh, feel my age. But yeah, trying to stay busy. I get involved in issues. I care very much about the community in which we live. So I've been involved in my neighborhood association. I've gotten involved uh, a little bit in uh, campaigns of politicians that I believe in. Um, I think all of this stuff is important. It would be easy to just kind of sit back and put my feet up and say, well, I've done you know, what I could do. But I continue to really care about the state we live in, about the community we live in, and about the country that we live in. We're all very lucky to have born, been born in the time that we were born and born in the place where we are. I think of those poor people in Ukraine and how uh, awful that is. And it's just a matter of luck that we were born into freedom. And uh, freedom can be lost. We're a relatively young country. And um, I just think it's very important to protect freedom, protect our democratic ideals. And uh, I guess maybe that's as far as I should go. <laughs> no, that sounds good. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. I should apologize to you for not being the best employee at times. Oh, for God's sake, Sheila, uh, you were a delight to work for. You're very skilled. Um, yeah, we had to talk about things uh, every now and then, but uh, that's true with every employee. It was a delight having you on our staff, and, and I miss you. So thanks for doing this. I, I, I appreciate uh, the opportunity. And thank you for your leadership and everything you taught me. You're welcome. This is the lead podcast produced by Sealand Public Media. I'm Sheila Brummer. That is award-winning news leader Dave Boozing, who is likely spending time in retirement watching his favorite baseball team, the St. Louis Cardinals. Have a great day, and thanks for listening. Valley Cali, the baseball game. Knew the players, knew all their names. You could see how their everyday shot hooray when they play. Her boyfriend by the name of Joe said to Coney Isle, we'll go. Then Nellie started to fret and pout. And to him I heard her shout, hey, take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. Cause it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old.